Greetings, fellow imps. I'm Imp Fossil Tom Hensky, and I'd like to welcome you to From Nowhere to Now Here, where incarnate memories prevail. Like many incoming first years, I entered the university a blank canvas. You get it, nowhere. But four years later, I grew to now here. And when I look back at that transformation, it was the friendships that I built through the imps that were a huge part of that growth. But where did everyone end up? I'm going to take us on a journey to find them, to catch up with the friends we've lost touch with. And in doing so, my mission is to rekindle these amazing relationships. Nation, we're back and we have a first. We're broadcasting from Israel today. Well, kind of, sort of. Robbie Grossman's in Israel and I'm pretending to be in Israel via Zoom. Robbie G in the his house. What up, boy? How are we doing, Hensky? Oh, what man. a pleasure to be here. All right. Now, like you're, some of these interviews are fun because it's fun hearing stories. But I was actually living the stories with you because we were doing this at the same time. So I would just ask that you remember that my wife and children listen to this podcast. So if you could refrain on any Tom Hensky stories, including anything about streaking the lawn or drinking too much tuna, that would be much appreciated. Um, I got you uh, covered so long as the uh, blackmail is clear that I want a Hensky family trip to Israel. Um, at some point in the next, let's say, 24 months. So, all right, we're going to do this slightly backwards, but I do want to get a little of the background, um, but I want to hear more about your your day-to-day today. But tell us, how the hell did you get to Virginia? What happened? You were supposed to be going to somewhere in Israel, and next thing you know, you wound up in Charlottesville. That seems like a kind of weird detour to me. Well, it's kind of funny because, you know, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. I went to Millsy Godwin High School, which was the um, superior high school in the far west end of Richmond, Virginia, over Douglas South Hall Freeman High School, where a gentleman named Jonathan Blank grew up and attended. And I actually um, had very little interest in going to the University of Virginia. 30 students from my high school class of, uh, of 300 and change, 400 and change, were, uh, were going to be headed there. And I had applied to University of Florida, and I got into University of Florida. I go down to check the place out. One of the reasons why I, it was the only thought of like leaving the state of Virginia for college, but I had this thing going on that like high school, I was sort of king of the nerds and I, and I loved every minute of that. But the thing that I was like missing that really uh, was special to me was the fact that I was Jewish and I heard, okay, Jewish guys, even, you know, the most uh, nerdy in the lot that uh, go to University of Florida can have a really good time. So um, I, I just have to say, I went in, um, I, I got to Gainesville and somebody gave me directions to go to the Hillel, the, you know, Jewish uh, building on campus. And I'm like, okay, I'll just show up, walk in, see what's up. I'm at the bottom of a set of stairs, ready to walk into this building. The front door opens, and 
out comes this pouring of people. Okay. They're all, they've got signs, they've got t-shirts, etc. That happened to be the day that whatever county Gainesville, Florida is in had allowed for a neo-Nazi rally to take place in Gainesville. And here I was thinking I was going to like hear about, you know, what kind of chicken they serve on Friday nights. And I was swallowed up by the counter rally. So by the end of that, I was, I was fired up. I was like, okay, Florida's happening. And I got waitlisted at Virginia. And my reaction was awesome. Now I don't have to go there. You know, my family was like, well, we'll see what happens. So end of the story is got in, couldn't pass up the university and, uh, and have absolutely no regrets uh, that I made that decision. What the heck is the world coming to when a brainiac like you gets waitlisted? And I didn't. I'll tell you, I mean, probably the story of my academic life has always been that because I uh, could could uh, play the nerd card in general, most people assumed, oh, he must be like really good at schoolwork, whereas eh, I was good at student activities. I got through the schoolwork. So, um, yeah, I'm a little bit more that case, you know, difference between the two of us. You're out of state. I'm in state out of state. You got to prove you can walk on water. In the state, we had to prove we could drink water. Help me understand, what was the Jewish population of the university when you got there? So I was told that um, that it was something like 10%, um, 10, 15%, something like that. And my expectation when I got there was, okay, there's like, you know, between a thousand and a couple thousand Jewish people on campus. And I quickly learned that... Uh, that while that might be the case, many of the Jewish students were not necessarily into doing lots of Jewish things. So um, it was actually pretty cool that like I got involved in lots of different stuff at Virginia that you know I can talk about later. But that uh, yeah, I connected with uh, I I found that there were Jewish folks who were involved in a lot of different things in the university without necessarily being active in the the Jewish student population there. And um, when you got to the university, you mentioned some of the things you immediately kind of signed up for. What were some of those things? Well. My first year, I was um, loving dorm life. I also loved the fact that uh, checking out fraternities, I had found this like majority Jewish fraternity called FIEP, and uh, they took me in, and I really connected. And a big part of it, Jewish, non Jewish, was that it was, you know, majority New Yorkers, I think, in the, uh, in the fraternity. And, uh, you know, if people look in the uh, annals of Greek history at the University of Virginia, they'll see that when when we were uh, there, that I endured hazing that was worse than any fraternity member could uh, do to a pledge that I was hazed actually by the DEA when they uh, showed up and seized our fraternity house, along with two others, Operation Equinox. Um, one of the few papers that I wrote at UVA that I can say I think was 
really good and didn't involve like 13 different phone calls to my sister, the PhD student, uh, was writing about Operation Equinox. And um, yeah, take a lot of pride in the fact that of the uh, of my fraternity brothers who actually ended up serving time in prison, there were three of them, um, that one of them now works professionally as a rabbi. That's hysterical. Now, wait, um, remind everyone, because there are, there are a bunch of listeners who weren't there during the time, remind them what that actually was. So it's worth, it, this is worth a Google because it's like really, like it's a fascinating story um, that basically at the time that we were at Virginia, and I, I don't think most of us knew this, but there was actually a very serious crack, cocaine rock, problem in Charlottesville, sort of on the other side of the tracks. And there was a lot of talk and there's a lot of legends about um, about federal authorities um, figuring out how to deal with these different places where the drug problem and specifically crack was becoming bigger. And some folks say that uh, that the idea came up of, oh, well, here's one of these places close to D.C., close to the nation's capital, um, where right alongside this horrible problem, you've also got these, you know, these uh, elitist, socially uh, highbrow college students and that, uh, you know, there was their share of uh, drug issues and the like, not anything like, uh, not what we were seeing on the other side of uh, town. But sure enough, um, the decision was made that um, that investigations would uh, take place. They put a um, what's the nice way to say? I've lost my English. Living here narc. in Israel, um, yeah, that they'd put narc on the scene, and uh, sure enough, three different fraternities had um, had members who uh, sold drugs um, from their fraternity houses. Fraternity houses were, I believe, within 1,500 meters or some number like that of actually the UVA architecture school. And there was a federal mandatory minimum sentence that if you sold drugs and were busted within 1,500 meters, I believe that's the number, um, of an educational institution, that the mandatory sentence was a minimum of 13 months in prison, in federal prison. And basically, this is the DEA came in and seized three fraternity houses on a, a night before a night that was less busy. There weren't as many folks who were out and about on Rugby Road, but we were on Rugby Road. And I can tell you that, that I was standing behind the FIUP fraternity house as the federal marshals ran and roped it off and went into the house and indicted three of uh, three of the guys who were living there. And this is all when I'm a fraternity pledge. So when they close it, does that mean that you have people that need to find a place to live? How does that work? So there were in all of this some reasonable authorities. Um, and so I think that um, maybe they let some of the guys who were living there at the time stick around for a little while, and then they boarded the place up. Um, so like I was actually supposed to five months later for the beginning of my second year, move into the fraternity house. So, you know, I, uh, had to go find a, uh, another place to live. 
That's awesome. Cool story, man. I mean, not awesome, but uh, like good uh, reminder for all of us that were there. Cause I don't know that I remembered it to that detail. So that's actually kind of cool to hear. So what else were you doing besides the fraternity while you were there your first so couple of years? That, that was first year. After that, I the two things that I that I got into my second and third year that were um, that were really uh, really meaningful to me. Uh, one, and I know that Susan uh, Blank, Susan Kuhn Blank mentioned uh, this in her experience. We were both uh, university guides, so I was a tour guide on campus and. Um, I enjoyed it. I will say that at a certain point, I actually stopped giving historical tours and was only giving what were called admissions tours, um, which I really enjoyed. It was a lot of fun. Um, I had no problem, you know, taking the cute mom and dads who would be asking loaded questions and basically saying like, well, if you want an inferior experience, you can send your kids to Duke or Carolina. But yeah, we recommend uh, that people come and, you know, take in Virginia. So I I had a really good time um, as a guide, you know, as Susan mentioned, it was very social. So, you know, anything that had a social component to it, I was, uh, I was liking. The other thing that I did was that I got introduced um, to a really phenomenal guy who's now uh, got an amazing role at the university um, named Jerry Capone. And Jerry Capone worked for the UVA football program. And he was responsible for much of the off the field uh, area of work for, for the, the program, um, especially recruitment. And obviously, you know, we're talking early 1990s. There's no, uh, nobody's tweeting, okay? Nobody's, uh, there's no videos when people are talking to each other. And I basically started working, uh, you know, on a volunteer basis. And then it turned into like an internship that involved getting credit for it. And I had the opportunity when high school guys would come to check out our football program um, I got to be the uh, the host alongside uh, alongside usually a football team member, a player who would uh, who would join in that, and uh, it was really an amazing experience and um, a lot of fun. And I figure I think that the best story that I can tell from recruitment, and this connects to imps. It connects in some ways to my life today, and it just it totally connects to the goofball that I am, is that we're at the Boar's Head Inn one Saturday or Sunday morning. It was official visits. So these guys are you know, being wined and dined to, and offered their scholarships. And I'm sitting at the table. Jerry had said to me, you know, do it right because we're putting you with the big guys. And I'm sitting there with Tiki and Rondé Barber, seniors at Cave Spring High School in uh, in Virginia, who were there with their grandmother, Geraldine. And we sit down and everybody's got their big plates of food and everything. And I'm going on about something or another, trying to sell them on things. And I sort of glance over and I see that Mrs. Barber has this look on her face. And I'm not quite sure what it is there's a slight chance that it's, yo, little man, you need to be quiet now. And I like look at Rondé and Tiki and I realize that nobody's eating because they haven't blessed their food. And I stop and she looks at 
Rondé and Tiki. I don't remember which one she said. And she said, bless our food. And one of the boys, they put their heads down and they said the, you know, blessing over things, et cetera. And, um, yeah, that was, uh, that was a pretty wild, uh, experience on a lot of levels. And, it, you know, it's interesting in Jewish tradition, our big grace actually comes after meals. And that's why I say that we're the original foodies because we want to eat the stuff first before we're going to go and say, thank you. Yeah, all right. I, like we want to make sure it's good. Right. We have it all wrong that we're doing it in front. That makes no sense at all. Like get rid of the hunger pains and then you can pray all you want at the end. Right. When not when your stomach is growling. All right. I'm totally with you and the barbers. We got to get Tiki on here, too, by the way. Tiki, you got to get on here. Oh, so, yeah. That's awesome. And that, that's crazy. So you did that all the way through. Uh, your four so years. I did that all the way through. I loved the recruitment was really cool. And being in the athletic department as somebody who wasn't an athlete, I really, I really gained an appreciation for the fact that, you know, all these folks who I'm running into players that I'm getting to know over the years, et cetera, that like, you guys were basically, you were working two full-time jobs. And I, I don't know if enough people realize that. And I think a lot of people who aren't close to collegiate athletics might want to, you know, throw stuff around um, about athletes. But I, I got to tell you, you know, UVA did it right. And, and I was always impressed by, you know, how our athletes represented us. And also, interestingly, like where was their attrition? Where was their dropout? Where were their, their women or men who didn't make it on, you know, at UVA and had come there with sports to be a big part of things? And, you know, what? like it wasn't for everybody. There were those folks who they really couldn't hack it. And that was OK, too, because I, I think it made the community that was there much stronger. It, you know, so I, you know, I, I mentioned that side of things because I was a religion major um, I kind of wonder now as someone who is, uh, who was, you know, <laughs> diagnosed in my thirties with ADHD, if, if certain things had been different, what, uh, you know, what things would have been like academically for me. But again, the experiences, you know, that I took were, um, were really, really quite special. And I, I think it's a good time for me just to mention that, um, at the beginning of my fourth year, uh, my mom's health had declined and she passed away. And I, um, I oftentimes when I talk, um, when I talk about her and when I talk about that as an experience that I had as an undergrad, I find that that's a time when I want to tell people about UVA because of all the things that you can credit UVA with and that you can sing praises and we can sing good old songs and drink tuna and all these other fun and wonderful things. Um, the support system that I had when I uh, came back from Richmond after like there's a Jewish uh, ritual period of seven days um, of mourning was unreal. And um, the way I describe it often is that like, you know, yes, I was a mess. Yes, I was hurting. Um, and at any given moment, I could I could fall over. But the bottom line was I, I could never hit the ground because I had so many folks around me. And you know, number one were my friends who covered who were from so many different circles and things. You know, so many different areas of the university because of the different experiences that I had gotten to have. 
but you know as well the professors and you know i'd gotten to know my share of like deans and associate deans in the college of arts and sciences because i needed to go to somebody you know and beg that uh i'm talking about before mom passed away you know beg for mercy um but um you know the way that folks you know looked out for me was amazing and i really got into this place where it was like okay you know what like i want to i'm gonna push and get myself get that diploma and um then i'll figure out sort of what's next um but uh that's uh it's it as crazy as it sounds and as much as a lot of people will react and say oh my gosh losing a parent when you're an undergraduate um i just think there was something special about virginia that uh that 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 brought me a lot of comfort and a lot of care uh, during that tough time. I feel like one of the things that I've always found a certain peace with is not myself not being a hyper complex individual. So it's funny, like, you know, I was told at whatever age, three, four, whatever, that like, there's this God thing, you know, and that like, we believe in God and the way that we believe in God is a Jewish way. And I was kind of cool with that. So like, questioning things was not, um, you know, I never really questioned things. Now, I I will say that, um, that, something that was that was uh special to me and it 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 uh now living the life that i live i think that it 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 makes sense as i look back is that i was uh when mom passed away i was in my second class in islam with a professor abdulaziz sachadina um, who was a religious muslim and i think of all my professors the one who I felt most cared for and listened to and who was um, really uh, just a, a real support to, to help me along the way was Professor Sachidina. And, um, you know, I'm, uh, I, I, I can't tell you the names of all the professors that I had, um, mainly because I probably skipped a lot of classes. But, you know, he was one who was, uh, who, you know, when I think back, was part of that uh, support system. And I think I appreciated the fact that he was, he was religious and that even though I wasn't very strict in things religious, that at the time, it was something that was important to me. And, you know, I'll just mention because it was like, it's kind of the funny, like sort of jumping off point from the UVA experience to where I went with things is that um, as I was getting toward the end of third year, um, you know, we talk about the imps being a, a group that hopefully consists of people who aren't taking themselves and what they do too seriously. And at the same time, take on a role and feel that they're a part of the university community and they need to do their part. So there was this funny thing that, that some of us got into these conversations of like, well, look, we're going to be fourth year. Where do we want to focus our uh, energies, and where are we really going to give? And you know, are we going to be the? Am I going to be the? You know, try to get elected as the head of the tour guide group, or am I going to be the fraternity president, or any of this stuff? And things just hit in a real funky way. And basically, I was like, I haven't touched Hillel. 
um, not out of um, disinterest in things Jewish, because there was actually a synagogue in town where I was teaching Sunday school, but so many of the things I was seeing at UVA were so high quality and were so engaging and were so warm and were so impressive. And when I got to Virginia, I didn't feel that at the Hillel. And so it didn't, you know, I would give it a chance here and there. I would check back in, et cetera. But it was only at the end of third year that a few of us were talking. And I was like, you know what? This this Jewish at UVA is really important to me. And if it's if I'm going to do something with it, it means, you know, going into Hillel. And uh, and playing a role there, it was not an easy experience once I got there, but it was something that was important to me. And um, I can even tell you how that connects to my uh, my getting tapped for the imps because yeah, 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 the, yeah. Come on, you gave oh man, you gave me a layup on that one. That was a softball. Go ahead, teaser. So, um, so it's, uh, I guess third year and this election has already happened and I'm, um, I'm one evening I'm in the computer lab and, um, and, you know, I, I'm sure that if I was in there doing work, it was work that was probably due two months before that night. Cause that was sort of my, uh, how I rolled, um, and, um, you know, I certainly wasn't looking at the computer screen. I was looking around to see who's there, what they're up to, et cetera. And then I'm like, whoa, Ross and JB are here. So Ross Wiener and John Blank, um, have walked into the computer lab and they see me and, you know, I've known at that point, I'd known John Blank almost my whole life. Ross was one of my closest, closest buddies at Virginia. And I'm like, why are they looking all serious? Like what's going on? And they're coming at me. So I'm like, okay, something's going on. What's up? And they're like, we need you to come with us right now. And basically the, uh, the prank was that uh, some, um, some angry past Hillel leaders had found uh, something within the, uh, within the honor system that showed that if you were part of elections that were questioned and blah, blah, blah. And they're talking all over the place. And I'm like, what, what the, what is going on? Like, what is this? Two two future attorneys, these guys, right. So scaring the living hell out of you. Right. (laughs) Totally. And they're like, so look like the honor committee wants to, you know, wants to talk to you and, you know, we've got somebody that we can go talk to, but we got to tell you like what we're hearing is not good. And they're saying this could really, you know, be it. And by this point, maybe I'm in the the car with them. And I think also at that point, you know, I think for a lot of my life, I'd uh, been nice, sweet Robbie. And um, at that point, it like a, a, a switch kind of, uh, changed. And I think that basically I was like, you know what? You bring those guys to me. You know, you bring that honor committee to me. I'm ready to go. Like I'm, I'm, this is, uh, you know, I'm in this for the right reasons. And if somebody, yeah. And I'm, and I started into this thing, I'm ready <laughs> to start swinging. And they're basically like, okay, hold on, dude. We, we just have to ask you one question. And I'm like, what? They're like, you know, very important. And I'm like, what? And they're like, are you a member of the Z Society? And, uh, you know, 
I knew enough about the general scene that I like looked at them and I was like, guys, like, why would you, why would you think I'd be one of them? You know? <laughs> and they were like, okay, good. We got that covered. They had no interest in the, um... the scenes would never have any interest in a guy like you ever. You're like, totally. Totally. <laughs> that's, that's so totally. that's so beyond that's the question they just should have skipped in retrospect they just, like that, that just gave it away right that totally gave yeah it away. totally like totally. If, if there was one society that would never want the two of us it would be the z society ever ever totally totally <laughs> So, okay, so now let's let's segue this because we're dying to know. I know you did some schooling afterwards. I remember there was some grad school going on there, if memory serves me correct, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. I had um I had two different job opportunities, two different directions I could go in uh right out of uh right out of UVA. Um, one of them was to move back to Richmond, um, where a family friend who was a big life insurance salesman was, as it was put, I guess this was language back then, was ready to slow down and hand over his Rolodex to me. Um, and the other option for about you know a third of the salary was to move to D.C., and to take this new job that had been created at, at GW in their Hillel, where the job was to find the people who didn't want to come to Hillel and try to help them, uh, try to work with them, not to get them in the door, but just to, to connect with them and try to figure out what kind of stuff they wanted. And it was this amazing job. It was really cool. And, um, and then I sort of stumbled into a master's degree at GW. And interestingly, the way to get a free master's was to work full time at the university. And the position that opened up that I got was essentially as a, a secretary. Again, remember, I'm, I'm undiagnosed ADT at this point. So the poor guy I worked for, um, but he was the director of athletics and recreational facilities at GW. And so I worked for two years, got my master's, worked in athletics and was really at sort of this point where I was like, do I want to go into the athletic side of things or the world of like Jewish education and Jewish community building, et cetera. And sort of before I could decide, you know, what I, what I wanted, a friend who I'd, you know, met in that first job was like, come visit us. You know, there's some job openings. Let's see what's going on. Next thing I know, I'm in South Florida for a couple of years running a Hillel and then back up to DC and I'm working at, uh, Hillel's main, uh, they're like international headquarters um, in the middle of DC. But the work I was doing there was really, really cool. And it actually got me to Israel a bunch. Um, and there was like a sort of a turning point also that really leads me to where I've gotten today, which is um, that a group of students requested that I come out and do some kind of leadership training thing for them. And I'm, I fly out to Detroit and I show up and I see on the cover of like the program for this day long seminar um, that it says scholar in residence, you know, Robbie Grossman. 
And it says Hillel, Jewish, blah, 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 Jewish, whatever. And I'm like, you know, something here is not right. Like here I'm being called a scholar and it's connected to this Jewish thing. And while I was raised in a house that had beautiful Jewish values and beautiful Jewish connection, I had no Jewish education. So here I am like, and I literally like looked at it and I was like, oh, this is like, you know, this is not this. I got to give some more thought to this. So, you know, in America, when you're Jewish and you express interest in learning something more and, uh, you know, academics are not necessarily your thing, immediately everybody's like, oh, you should be a rabbi. You have to go to rabbinical school. Um, So I took a look at that um, and wasn't, it wasn't connecting. Um, and then I started asking around for some of some other folks and people said, you know, there's this place you should go check it out in Israel. Maybe, you know, spend some time there. So I came to Israel thinking I was coming for a year. I'm studying in what based on its actions is like an old school yeshiva, an old school Jewish study hall. Only the image that most people get when that comes up is they picture a bunch of men with long beards, you know, sitting there sort of swaying back and forth with all these books open, et cetera. And I was at this amazing place. It's still around. It's called the Pardes Institute, um, which had men and women together. Um, and which there was no nobody saying you have to live your life a certain way. There was just a message of if you want to be a more learned Jew, here are the books. Okay, they've been around for a long, long time, and you know this is um, this is this gives you uh, entry, you know, into being able to say, okay, you've got Jewish education, you're at the table, and. Um, and I found that uh, it wasn't easy work, but it was certainly the best classrooms, or I would say the most fitting classrooms for the type of learner um, that I was. And um, yeah, it's funny. I had said, I'm going for a year and then I'm coming back. I'm going to be a Hillel director. I'm going to work in Jewish education. I know what the rap is here, you know, and um then that one year turned into a second year and, you know, I'd come all the way to South Jerusalem, you know, originally from Richmond, Virginia. And I meet my lovely wife who grew up in Birmingham and Alabama and was living in Jerusalem at the time. And, um, and that was that I felt like, um, you know, proper behavior was that I, I wasn't going to say, for us to be together, you've got to come with me. She was the one who who started laying down roots in Israel. That just was like, uh, you know, not okay. Um, and so one thing led to another, and uh, it ended up that I I ended up sticking around at the Pardes Institute, but I I left the study hall and went to work for the institution uh, in the administration, fundraising and uh, and other types of uh, communications and outreach. Yeah, you you were doing that for a while. I seem to remember, right? That wasn't a quick stop. I don't yeah, know. yeah, there I was for, there but... ten years, um, ten years at the Pardes Institute, and then um, I had an opportunity to go to another um, nonprofit here in Jerusalem that was um, that was looking to sort of recreate itself and uh, wanted somebody in the fundraising role who 
could help push that forward. Um, and I did that work for about four years. And, um, and where was that? It was, that was um, at a place called the Association of Americans and Canadians in Israel. It was a place that really existed to try to, to provide a soft landing for English speakers who had come to move to Israel. Um, and it, it was a place that it, it had a rich history and literally going back to the 60s and 70s and 80s, it had done wonderful work. And by the time I came in there, um, I, I think that uh, it was either time for it to be to reinvent itself or to say, okay, we've, uh, we've done our part here. And um, it was a phenomenal lesson for me because um, I felt like I'd always been at places and around um, a lot of victories, um, a lot of places that set out to do something and did it really well. And I'm not trying to badmouth the, the organization that I was in by any means. I, I share this because, you know what? I realized this is not something I'm going to be able to succeed at. So then it was very much sort of this thought of like, okay, professionally, maybe I need to, you know, ask questions that I've really rarely asked of myself, um, which is, you know, what would I enjoy? What kind of things would I enjoy doing? What could I potentially be good at? You know, and all at the same time, it's interesting because what happened at this time as I'm really exploring totally different things um, is that my old boss from the Pardes Institute, um, who's a really um, fantastic and fascinating rabbi who grew up in America, um, uh, Orthodox rabbi, very modern in his views, who had been running Pardes for a long time. Um, he had, he had moved on from Pardes as obviously had I, and we sort of reconnected and got in touch with some other folks. And, uh, and we basically came to Rabbi Landy's and we said, look, we, uh, we think you should basically have your own shop that, that you've got something, you've got a voice and you've got the, the, you got the kind of, of Jewish action that it should be out there. And, um, and he said, okay, let's see what we can put together and let's see what we can do. So um, basically we started this organization. Um, it's called Yashrut, um, which comes from the Hebrew word Yashar, which is the word for straight. Okay. Thinking like sort of directionally and the, um, the etymological roots of the word. Yeah, I don't know what that means either, Hensky, but I think that I'm close. <laughs> yeah, they um, the, just... the, the, the people on the podcast can't see my face because we're doing the Zoom and I was like, my eyes just went cross-eyed, right? Not knowing what the heck you were talking about. But okay, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Yashrut is basically a concept that's that um, that was very dominant in the Jewish learning communities going back many generations that basically said, like, yes, we we as Jews are people of the book, and we need to study, and we need to argue, and we need to go over every point and understand every single thing. But what this concept of Yashrut talked about was, if we're really serious about all of this, there it's more than just a, an intellectual pursuit. There has to be a connection to humanity. 
we've got to do these things and behave like a good soul. Um, and that, that especially, you know, as time has gone on and now, you know, with where we are in the world, it's fascinating because you'll find, um, some folks who are sort of waving a flag of we are um, certain thing. We are a cross section of the Jewish people that is orthodox and that is serious about our studies and is serious about what the books say. Um, but they've they've um, left the Yashrut part of things behind. They've left behind how to um, actually relate to others. Um, they've found loopholes so that uh, doing things that are fraudulent um, seems to be okay with them. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because it is, um, it is, there have not been a lot of people who have sort of stepped up and said, hey, this isn't okay. Um, and so that was something that a few of us um, felt needed to be out there. And so um, this is what I am working on right now alongside Rabbi Landis, who, man, he would be a lot of fun on a podcast. Um, but um, but um, we're working with all kinds of folks around the world. And, um, and you know, when we, when we run it back and do a second series of podcasts, we'll see if... Uh, if um, I was able to uh, pull off some of the things that we're trying to do, but basically at the end of the day, you know, our work is about people, you know, behaving in, in a way that is uh, fitting for interacting with others. And, um, and we can argue about little specific points of Jewish law all we want. Um, but if we're, if at the core of it, we're not committed and our starting point, you know, isn't, um, you know, not only building a Jewish people, but following a commandment that the Jews were given, which is to be a light unto the nations. Um, then in my opinion, in a way we're cheating. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting that, you know, I mentioned the home that I grew up in and how, uh, I felt like it was really steeped in Jewish values, even though I didn't have the education. And now I get to work around this world of deep, serious Jewish education that connects back to these values. And um, I think in, in many ways are, are things that have sort of a universality to them um, that, uh, that the world certainly needs right now. I think that, uh, that frankly, you know, there's a lot of ugliness out there, especially in the way that people are interacting. And um, so I'm very lucky that even though I thought I was going to go in a totally different direction a few years ago, work-wise, that this opportunity came up and I, uh, and I jumped at it and, um, you know, feel very, very, very fortunate, really feel blessed and love uh, the work that I get to do. So what people want to know too, for sure, is What's life like living in Israel? There's some stuff going on. I feel like in, you know, the, the concept of like being at the table, like, man, I'm at the table in life. Um, and it's, um, it's, you know, there are these huge 
um, huge, unimaginable, you know, things. There's, uh, you know, I had only been here a few weeks and uh, met somebody at uh, like a, a meal over the over the Sabbath. This is in 2002. And um, a couple days later, he was at Hebrew University here in Jerusalem to take uh, to take an exam, and a bomb went off, and he was killed. Um, and you know, a couple days after I'd met this guy, and so you know, and it was talk about you know me seeing CNN cameras again. Um, you know, we have those kinds of things, and we have the kind of things that are that. Nobody can be prepared for it's, you know, it's, um, it's, you know, I think back to, um, somebody who, oh, what a great fellow imp who I was close to from like day one at UVA and Eccles dormitory was Macy Hale. Um, sorry, Mike Lennox, but she's always going to be Macy Hale to me. Always. Um, you know, when I heard about Macy, it was only through the podcast that I heard about Macy's 9-11 experience. Here I had, we had lost touch and I, you know, didn't uh, know about that. And, um, and you know, so yeah, like here in Israel, it's a, it's a really small country. It's a look at a map. It is a tiny little country. So stuff goes on and, uh, you know, there's also like, I find it almost humorous that you've got like the, you know, these three world major world religions that have serious presence uh, here in so many different ways, including historical holiness, all that kind of stuff. And like, so you've got these, you know, these big, huge kinds of things that, um, that it's hard not to have direct connections to these kinds of things. But, you know, what was I doing before the podcast? I, I was fighting through traffic going from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv because my kids had a baseball game. And, um, you know, that's part of the day to day. Um, and, um, you know, when we finish up and I go and, uh, and go to grab something to eat, I know in the fridge, I've got a, uh, there's some, I don't know how to how it's pronounced tahina it's uh something that a lot of people have with what I know that is often pronounced hummus we say hummus but there's tahina in the fridge that I work at like out of like a we work type setup and three doors down is Amjad a Palestinian Muslim guy who you know we talk when we're making our coffee and we hang out and we catch up and um he went deep into uh, deep into a village near where he lives, and they had just made a new batch of um, ground this ground sesame paste. And um, you know, like that's you know the same way that I can talk about a, a Palestinian terrorist who ended my new friend's life. There's also the Palestinian guy who's you know, running a, a small startup and is down the hall from me. And, um, you know, I, I guess the, 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 the rambling that I'll, I'll wrap on this part of things is just to say that like, you know, nothing's simple and there's the most mundane, silly little things like getting a parking ticket, which could happen anywhere in the world. And there are these bigger kinds of things. And, you know, one of the things I've learned uh, from living here is that um, 
is that we never know what's gonna, we never know what's gonna hit. We never know what's going to be in front of us. And we gotta, you know, we just got to take it on and we gotta, you know, we gotta see what we can get from it. And, um, and, uh, you know, there are days that like anywhere it's tough. Um, and there are days that, uh, that we really, I feel like get to celebrate. And, um, so I, I, I did not plan to live in Israel. I thought that was something that a certain type of crazy person did. Um, and I knew I was a crazy person, but I didn't realize that I actually was that type of crazy person. And um, I, I, I don't know if I could live anywhere else at this stage. Um, and how are the conversations with the kids around those sort of issues, the more negative issues? I mean, are, are they just used to it because that's what they grew up with? Or is it something that really takes a lot of conscious thought that you have to dialogue with them about? Yeah, it takes a lot of thought. It's, it's by far, um, it's, you know, I'd much rather, you know, talk to my kids about, uh, about the problems they're having with friends or with a teacher. But the fact of the matter is that these are, uh, you know, these are real things. We've had a bad couple weeks uh, in terms of terrorism, and um, you know, it's um, it's we those conversations with the kids are by far the toughest, and um, and there's not any um, there's not any real intelligence to it. Like you, you have to say, be smart. You got to tell them to be responsible, to look, to always be looking over their shoulder, um, which I might be saying if I was raising kids in D.C. right now. But um, also just to say to them that no matter how much, um, no matter how scary things are, um, that there is equally intense um, greatness and opportunity, you know, that we have being where we are. Um, but you know, I have seen parents who, uh, who, you know, especially, you know, we have mandatory military service. So I've talked to parents who have older kids who have gone off, um, to the military and some who have been in action. And, um, you know, I can't say enough about, uh, the importance of treating mental health and taking somebody's mental health. Uh, very seriously, because I think that, um, you know, we can use all the phrases, oh, it takes a village and, you know, all the rest of this. The fact of the matter is that, um, you know, these kinds of things, including the conversation with the kids, you know, and, and trying to, you know, when they're asking, you know, how do the locks on our doors work? You know, they want to know that specifically, you know, and, um, yeah, not always easy. Not always, uh, you know. Every day is a new adventure, you know. With that, but um, like I said, it's uh, while it's in sort of a place of extreme, much of the happiness and much of the 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 real fun and celebration that we get is also at an extreme. Right. Right. Wow. 
it's tough to go into the rapid fire questions after that. So, okay, Excellent. like you don't get back to UVA as much. How I, having said that, you were there just a little bit ago. Tell me about the bagel and the schmear. What do you got going on there? Ah, so I'll tell you something that most people would try to make sense of and assume is that, you know, bagels, very much a Jewish food, right? Like, Israel, Jewish country, the bagels here suck. I miss Bodo's bagels. So as crazy as it sounds, just give me a bag of warm Bodo's bagels. I don't need anything on them. I mean, there was a time in my life where I liked the rare roast beef. There is a time in my life where I liked the hummus and sprouts, the Caesar salad. I mean... There's just, there's no other way to, to be as intimate with garlic as one can be when they eat a Bodo Caesar salad. But, you know, in this day and age, if I'm getting to Charlottesville, just give me a bag, mixed warm bagels, and let me just go at it. Love it. That's simple. That's as simple as they get. Favorite word with the letters IMP? Oh, gosh, you know, I hadn't given this any thought at all. Let's see here. You know what I think it is? I think that it's actually chimpanzee. Oh, nice. now why am I going with that? Yes, that was rehearsed is because like the first dozen podcasts that I listened to when you ask the question, like everybody used up all the ones that I would have said. So I had to find something that would be a first time. But I also thought, OK, you know what? I think I can do something with this. So I'll just say why chimpanzee? Because I truth be told we have a zoo here in jerusalem and my family knows that when we go to the zoo that one of the toughest parts of the experience is going to be getting me away from the chimpanzees because i could sit and watch them i feel you know a kinship um on so many levels and um you know maybe that you know for whatever reason i feel like i gotta give a shout out again to ross and to and to blank because i feel like for some reason like the three of us could be sort of chimpanzeeing uh together but um yeah i'm going chimpanzee and you're probably when you were visiting last you went by the chapel and you snuck in during the meeting and i'm sure you gave them some words of wisdom what did you tell them you know, I think the words of wisdom are just like, go out there and and take it all in, do it all, enjoy it, value it, and and have a good time. I, I don't think there's anything, uh, you know, I spend my days, even though I'm not the big teacher or student, but around these books that have all of this wisdom in it. And you know what? At the end of the day, I look back at my years at UVA. I think of how wonderful they were. I think of how much the imp society just put was the the cherry on top of that for me. And I just think that like it's the most amazing, you know, an education at UVA is the most amazing opportunity to just go and check it all out. Do it, go for it. Robbie Grossman in the Imp House. You need to say goodbye to everybody in Hebrew of Imp Podcast first. So bring it up. Well, you know, the Hebrew word for goodbye is also the Hebrew word for uh, for hello and most importantly for 
peace, P-E-A-C-E, and it's shalom. But I'm going, uh, I'm taking it to a new level because what we all say to each other is actually the words lehitraot, which actually means see you later. So there ain't no goodbyes. We'll be back. Uh, Did I say that right? Yeah. Check nice. me out. See, I told you, Long Island, I've got mad. I love skills. it. Oh, my God. Imp Nation, you just heard Robbie G in Israel. Oh, my God. Robbie, you haven't changed one darn bit since I left you in Charlottesville, my man. Not one. And thank you so much for being on. Thanks so much for sharing. And uh, some of the stuff you shared was pretty, like, heartfelt stuff so and tough to talk about so we appreciate the awesome authenticity there so thank you well i'll join everybody else who's been on and say in thanking you i mean this is this has just been a bright light for uh so many of us and i just love the being able to reconnect so way to go hensky yeah all right you heard him imp nation keep bringing me those names for the mailing list and we'll keep getting imps on and having a blast robbie peace love and impness right back at you lahitra oat lahitra oat Hi there, Tom here. Before I let you go, I want to tell you about my other podcast, Total Sense. As you may know, after my time as an imp, I went on to become a financial advisor. Okay, stop laughing. Don't act so surprised. In each episode, I share advice to parents about how to talk to kids about money. As a parent, I know how difficult that money conversation can be, so I hope you'll listen and find it helpful. It's Total Sense. C-E-N-T-S, as in money, available anywhere you get your podcasts.